Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Carrie Plitt here through the power of the internet with my co-host Octavia Bright. Hi Octavia, how are you doing? I am excited about the vaccine (laughs) and I've been singing it in my head to the tune of lots of different songs, mainly Jolene. So I'm feeling optimistic today. It's great. It's good. Um, I'm recording. I'm up uh, at my mum's house where I'm staying for the moment. So I'm in a bigger room than normal and I might be a bit echoey. But apart from that, we should be good to go. How about you? How are you? I'm okay. I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of excited about the vaccine, but it still doesn't feel real to me. Um, I am really feeling like I need a break right now, but trying to inject some holiday cheer into this month we are getting a Christmas tree this weekend. I'm already mainlining Hanukkah Gelt. Excellent. It was also really funny to listen to this same show last year um, when I was preparing for it because we were so, for lack of a better word, happy. Oh, <laughs> like man. We were just really happy and peppy. It was almost kind of adorable, our sweet little innocent selves just (laughs) yammering on about Christmas and Uncle Joe that doesn't want your Bill Bryson book, or he does want your Bill Bryson book, but not your esoteric poetry. Oh, oh, Uncle Joe, I wonder how he fared this year. Yeah. (laughs) But he just sat there feeding himself pages of Bill Bryson. Well, he'll get some esoteric poetry in the post, I'm sure, but I basically want to channel some of that energy today because it was just nice to listen to us be so happy and this is one of our favorite shows of the year isn't it yeah it totally is this is our last literary friction of 2020 so that's why we're making it our year in review show we thought we could look back and like just connect with some of the things that were really wonderful about this absolute clusterfuck of a year and think about our favorite reads from the year gently revisit our 2019 reading resolutions i wonder how uh, that's gonna go <laughs> considering <laughs> i know how mine went i mean this was a year that where like the word unprecedented became so boring but it was like everything felt unprecedented so we'll see and we're also going to give some resolutions for the year ahead which i think we are both feeling tentatively optimistic about even given where we're going to be. Yes, we'll be giving you a good old list of books today. So if you need some inspiration for which books to buy people for Christmas or whatever holiday you will be celebrating and in whatever fashion, then listen closely. Also, here's your annual reminder to support your local independent bookshop. Not only because you get the solace of knowing you are participating in responsible capitalism as far as this is ever possible, but also because this year we're really excited to say we've teamed up with two of our favorite bookshops who are each offering a special deal for Literary Friction listeners. That's right. So first up is our friends at Pages of Hackney who are offering one of their fabulous tote bags for free if you spend over £20 and use the code LITFRICTION at checkout. So you need to add... £20 plus of items to your cart and add the tote and then enter the code at checkout and you will get the tote for free. And they're also going to feature a list of all the books that we talk about in this show on their website. So you can go there and check out and you can buy anything from them. So their website is pagesofhackney.co.uk. And for even more inspiration, the excellently read team at Burley Fisher have compiled their own brilliant list of the year, which you can find on their website, and includes picks from their various guest booksellers, including the likes of Max Porter and Jen Calleja, and someone else you might recognize, our very own Octavia Bright. (laughs) That's right. Everything on this list is 10% off until the end of the month, and the discount is applied automatically at checkout. There are 
also offering a 10% discount for Literary Friction listeners, which applies to anything you like if you use the code LITFRICTION at checkout and is available until midnight on December 23rd. Just to note, you can't use this special discount on books that are already discounted as part of their Books of the Year list, but for anything else, you are golden. That's right. And between Pages of Hackney and Burley Fisher books, you should be able to get your hands on pretty much anything you could possibly want in book form. And also avoid putting any more money into Jeff Bezos's nasty little pockets. So please nasty, nasty, hit them nasty. up. They are the nastiest <laughs> pockets available. They're really little because he got really swole. So uh. like they're like his legs are bulging and there isn't as much room in his pockets. Okay. Which brings us to our final note of business. We are trying to find ways of making the show more sustainable for next year. So we are very excited to say that we will soon be going live with a Patreon page. Lots of you have generously asked us how you can support us financially beyond buying merch. And here is our answer. That's right. Here it is. So to begin with, we're just going to offer a single tier, which will be £5 a month. Gets you an exclusive extra mini-sode where we'll talk about things that are a little bit more fun, personal, tangential, maybe full of some secrets than we include in the full shows and give you the opportunity also to suggest some things you'd like to hear us talk about. Plus the usual full show and mini-sode that you get every month. And your support will help us keep going and growing. And as time goes on, we're really hoping to be able to offer more tiers, make more content. Anyway, I think that is all the business out of the way. And much as I love to be a businesswoman, shall we talk about some books? So you're an ethical businesswoman, oh, like, not like Jeff. Much as I love to be an ethical businesswoman or business person, business human, human with a business mind. Help me, help me, help me out of this hole. <laughs> your, <laughs> your pockets are nasty, but in the good that's way. That's right. And my shoulder pads are broad and uh, <laughs> covered with rhinestones. That's right. All right. Uh, covered. I about... meant bedazzled. <laughs> anyway, books. Let's talk about books. Let's talk about books. Okay, let's talk about our favorite books of 2020. Yeah. I'm trying to bring the pep here. You are bringing the pep. I, I'm like picturing <laughs> you with pom-poms right now. Oh, yeah. I can I can share. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this was an extremely weird reading year for me. I had periods during which I read almost nothing, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Couldn't pick up a book to save my life. But also I had some deeply profound and moving experiences with books, possibly even more deep and profound than usual. I also thought I hadn't read very many books at all, but then I looked back at the list and there were actually a lot there. So anyway, that shows that I just have no sense of time and no sense of what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to hearing what some of your favorites were. I actually had a really deep list of books that I loved this year. So this was difficult for me to whittle them down. As we did last year, we'll be talking mostly about books that were also published in 2020, but not exclusively. That feels, I think, particularly appropriate in a year when it seems like a lot of people were dipping into backlists, reading old favorites, or finally picking up that book that they always meant to read. Yeah, honestly, I really I really had to think hard to compile this list because I also have really not had a sense of time or continuation or anything this year I really feel like I've been living so intensely from moment to moment it's very difficult to conceive of it as a chunk of time um, and then place myself within it and anchor myself with things I read or things I did or I, it's very complicated it's weird so I've, I've found that I've swung between feeling like burningly present and then totally numbed out 
And I feel like the books that I've read have woven into and out of my consciousness in really unpredictable ways. And some of them are present in a way that's different from normal and others I, I couldn't reach for. But when I reminded myself I'd read them, it was like, oh my God, that had a huge effect on me when I read it. <laughs> How has it not stuck around in my mental library? It's really weird. But yeah, I can't wait to hear yours. T- tell me, hit me, lay it on me. First one. Well, I think my first one has to be The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. This was one of those books that totally broke me out of the reading doldrums in the early summer. I read it in a day. I only took breaks for meals and for the bathroom. Sometimes I was reading it on the toilet. <laughs> Sorry, maybe that's TMI, no, but it no. happened. Those are the best books. Uh, it's always the mark of you. the best books. But it's the story of twin sisters from Louisiana whose lives kind of diverge completely when one of them decides to start passing as white. And it's a really powerful story about race, family, American history, but it's also just an extremely well-told novel, which encompasses a a huge number of locations, characters, storylines, without any confusion or unevenness. And it was just a delight to read, but a deep read as well. That sounds like a perfect one if you want to completely immerse yourself in something over the Christmas period, doesn't it? Very much so. Yeah, I'd recommend it if you haven't. If you like those kinds of reads and you like having those kinds of reads during Christmas, which I always really do, um, then then this would be my recommendation for that. What's your first recommendation? So I want to start with Weather by Jenny Offal because I read this in Sydney in literally the last weeks before the pandemic really hit in the UK and lockdown started. And so I feel like it will always be indelibly associated with that time and that feeling of creeping dread and growing consciousness I had while I was on the other side of the world, visiting family, watching things develop back home, feeling totally separate from them, but knowing I was going back to them. And that experience mirrors the narrator's process of coming alive to the climate crisis and her growing political anxiety. So I felt like I was having this really interwoven (laughs) parallel thing when I was reading it Um, and the way that Offal shoots through these feelings with humor and wit and family relationships and identity it's so so clever and she's such a wise writer and I found that the fragmented style really fit with my complete and utter inability to focus for long stretches of time when Mm. this was all kicking off so it was it felt like the perfect book for that time and I felt like it gave me Um, a a kind of mental framework with which I could approach what was happening in reality and try to just observe and get myself into the headspace of what can I learn from this while it's happening and it's hard. So I think it's a great one if you want to nudge yourself into a slightly different perspective while looking back at what you've just been through, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I felt that way too. And it was so, she was the first author we interviewed once we'd gone into lockdown so but it's a brilliant book brilliant book and then at the end there's this little section as we talked about when we interviewed Jenny um called obligatory note of hope and I think it just the way that she thinks about hope and conceives of the role of hope and how you engage with hopeful thoughts in that book is also something that's just a useful tool (laughs) for right now um and she's just it is I don't want to understate how funny it is as well it's very very funny and Uh, revealing about modern life and the way that we conceive of ourselves within this weird structure called capitalism so that's yeah that's where I'm starting got that capitalism in there oh girl you know it (laughs) (laughs) it's always it's always always there the web within which we are all trapped what's your next 
My next top book of 2020 is The Lying Life of Adults by Elena Ferrante, translated by Anne Goldstein. Bingo. Another book we featured on the show. Listeners will know that I love Elena Ferrante. I especially love the Neapolitan novels, which I believe you are listening to the audiobooks of right now. Listen, aren't you? I'm going to interject here to say <laughs> yes. And holy fucking shit, I'm literally, I'm on book three. And I, I think, I think I've got to book three in one week. <laughs> And I think they're, they're like 14 hours of audio each. I'm gripped. I can't. I listen to it in the bath. I listen to it making my breakfast. I'm looking after my mum, so I'm listening to it constantly. It's just the most transporting writing. And I have a lot, a lot, a lot of things to say about it. But talk about talk yeah. about the long life of adults <laughs> first. I will. But also, I've really enjoyed this partially because you are constantly texting me about things that happened in the books. <laughs> Like, oh my god, I can't believe Nino did that. I'm sorry, Nino so was such fun. a prick. I I really like <laughs> fuck that guy. It's really fun for me to have you go through this experience and sort of relive my own experience reading the novels. Oh, but I'm so glad. The Lying Life of Adults. I was both excited and apprehensive about this follow-up, as I always am about a new novel by an author that I love. But the good news is that this is an excellent novel and also very much its own thing. It captures explicitly and sometimes excruciatingly what it's like to be a teenager, kind of the way we try on different personalities, the disillusionment with adults that often accompanies this phase in our lives. And it's also just extremely sharply and unflinchingly observed as all of her fiction is and I also just loved being back in Naples plus Anne Goldstein's translation is really excellent and it's a novel that's a joy to read and it feels just as absorbing as the Neapolitan novels but maybe in a in a different way yeah and exploring a different phase of life in a way of thinking and a perspective I would completely second that I found that book just brilliant and it's the reason that I then went and picked up the audiobooks of the Neapolitan Quartet because I'd started my brilliant friend when it was all the rage and and could see it was really brilliantly written and brilliantly translated and great characters but I just couldn't I just could not hook into it and so I put it down and thought I you know I knew I wanted to go back to it at some point but then when then when and then this was my gateway drug basically Mm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because her writing is just so oh rich and delightful and clever and political and deep ah brilliant good great what's your next (laughs) good great 2020 move on move it along (laughs) (laughs) love it when carrie keeps me on track on time um my next one is in the dream house by carmen maria machado and we did also interview carmen about this on the show if you've been listening to the show for a while you will probably remember when i was completely rapturous about her short story collection her body and other parties Ever since I read that book and I heard that she was working on something longer, I was obsessed with the idea of reading it. And then it was going to be a memoir and I just thought, bring it on. And it didn't disappoint at all. It's such a creative and engaging approach to writing about the self. And she brings all of her skills as a writer of fiction to the really actually very complicated task of describing her experience of an abusive relationship. But rather than simply telling us about it, she finds this extraordinary way of immersing us in the experience of it and that's what really stood out for me she uses storytelling to basically her writing's almost like a camera you know it's it's something very filmic about the way that it is all encompassing and even though it's telling the story of an incredibly 
heartbreaking and painful and frightening experience in her life, she creates this space for the reader that is intellectual, analytical, reflexive, but also creative, interactive, warm. Ah, it's brilliantly fresh and new. I just think she's a writer like no other, really. And her writing feels completely poised for this present moment. There's something about it that is like interacting and reflecting the way in which we consume writing online, through social media, as well as in books. And there's something, there is something multidisciplinary about her writing that I I am electrified by. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I loved this book. I didn't know what to expect when I opened it. And I don't think I could have ever expected what it was. You know, it feels so original. Yeah. What's your third? My third is Lost Cat Ugh. by Mary Gatesville. I'm kind of jealous that you got this one because I wanted this one, but <laughs> let's both have it because it is I just, say... I know you did, darling. No, but it, the main thing is that it's there <laughs> and it's on the list and everyone understands yeah. our enthusiasm for it. Yes. Well, we can have it together. I'm generous in that way. <laughs> you are. You're so generous, babe. <laughs> But it's really interesting to me, myself, possibly not to anybody else, that this is the second year in a row that I've recommended something by Mary Gateskill that was first written for a magazine and then published in the UK as a short book and something that wasn't necessarily meant to be a book. It was different to have these things as a book, I think, rather than reading them online or reading them in an issue of The New Yorker. Yeah. Um, And I was really glad to have them. But yeah, anyway, the one I recommended last year was the long short story, This is Pleasure, which was first published in The New Yorker, which was the best thing I read about Me Too by a long shot. And this year it is Lost Cat, which was an essay originally published in Granta about 10 years ago. We interviewed Mary Gateskill and Larry Friction about Lost Cat, so I won't go on too long about it. I've already said how much I love this in many, many different ways. But this was actually possibly my most powerful reading experience of the year. It knocked me over. And I love the way that she grapples with grief, the surprisingly connected ways that we feel loss, the beauty but difficulty of love in this incredibly precise, clear prose. This essay feels so profound. And even though it was written 10 years ago, it it speaks to now in a really surprising and for me helpful way oh yes it is it's really magnificent but you know listening to you describing it there made me realize one of the other things I read this year that absolutely blew my mind in some very important ways would make a great pairing with this with Lost Cat and it's The Red Tender of Bologna by John Berger which is another Mm. you can buy as an individual book which you actually sent to me Carrie and it became this incredibly necessary and warm companion in my own experiences of grief this year and I think that actually Lost Cat and The Red Tender of Bologna are excellent companions in the way that they explore big emotional experiences of of kind of human nature through the lens of much more specific things and really also Berger is an incredibly precise writer it's just an interesting connection that I hadn't made before. Mm. That's lovely. Yeah. It's nice to hear. Highly recommended. Um, I will also make a confession, which I sent you that, but I haven't actually read it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I thought you might like oh, it. Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> well, then you have it waiting for you. Oh, 
I'm jealous. I wish I could read that essay for the first time again. It's such a beautiful piece of writing. Holy fuck, it's so good. Sorry, we just, I've snuck in an extra recommendation, which definitely wasn't published this year. <laughs> what is your next recommendation? My next one is actually another innovative memoir. It's I don't know, there's something about that mode of writing at the moment that is just really fitting for me. I'm, I want to be in it. So this is Blueberries by Elena Savage. And I also actually picked this book up when I was in Sydney at the beginning of the year, but I didn't read it. I started it there, but I didn't read it fully until I got back. And it's actually also another companion book that would go really well with Carmen's book. It's so clever and interesting. So Elena Savage is an academic and writer. And um, I think it's it probably classifies as an essay collection, but it's it's kind of difficult to put in a box, which I really love. And it's, I think, experimental nonfiction is how I would describe it. The essays play with form, but she's very skilled. So they it, they never run away with themselves, but she does take you to interesting places with the way that she structures them. And the first essay begins with Savage returning to Portugal, where she was sexually assaulted 11 years before. And in the opening essay, she lays out this really original authorial voice plus two other internal voices which doubt and question each one of her statements so already you're in this space of unreliability and interrogation which is a, you know the space of a survivor of assault essentially the way that society classifies them and she also builds this sense of inner critic that i think even if the experience she's investigating is quite specific we all understand that the voice of the inner critic and the inner underminer and it it very deftly just right from the beginning shows us how we're kind of all unreliable narrators of ourselves and our own stories at the same time as being the only ones who hold the absolute truth about ourselves. And I love the way that she teases out questions of subjectivity in that way. I mean, the subtitle of the book is What Kind of Body Makes a Memoir? And this collection of essays kind of builds a body in a way within the book. I don't know. It's fabulous. The other themes that kind of loop back and come around a gender bodily experience, but also true crime and love. Mm. And it's very expansive without ever feeling like it's trying to take on too much, which is, which is a difficult thing to pull off, I think. Um, and I really have a feeling that I'm going to be, I'm going to be going back to it which is such a nice feeling when you have a book and you read it and you think, I can't wait to come back to this from a different perspective, you know? Yeah, I never have that, but that's wonderful. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I never have that. Amazing. Okay, what's last on your list? My last book is one that was not published in 2020. It is The Years by Annie Erno, translated by Alison L. Strayer. It was actually published in France first in 2008, but it was not released until 2018 in English. Uh, it's an excellent translation. And this book was a total revelation for me. It's kind of a collective memoir, I guess you could call it, from the years of 1941 to 2006, covering Annie Arnaud's life in France, but also really the history of her generation and that country. and. It's extremely interesting, even when she's discussing French elections, partially because her prose doesn't seem to have a word out of place. And in the end, it it's a very powerful meditation on being a woman and on time itself and how the individual interacts with history, but done in a way that is never pretentious. I loved her writing and I would love to read more by her. Her writing blows me away. That's like... 
I'm desperate to read that book ever since you recommended it on the show before. And then I read A Man's Place, which is a short book by her about her father, um, memoir. And it, oh, God, what a writer. As you say, like yeah. so precise, just incisive and sharp and clever. Seems to be what I want these days. Yeah, same. Precision. Same. Mm. Clarity. Why would that be? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's, your, what's your last book My last that you are recommending? is a novel um, from last year, actually from 2019, called This Brutal House by Niven Govindan, which I, I've recommended in one of our shows. And I just, I want to give it another outing because I loved it and I found it completely and utterly transporting. It's set in 80s New York around a silent protest on the steps of City Hall, staged by a group of mothers from the Vogue ball scene. Um, And they're protesting because members of their community, the children in their chosen families, have been going missing and winding up murdered. And it's partly narrated in this incredible collective voice of the mothers, like a Greek chorus, but with all the kind of difficulty and edginess of those characters and their vanity and their love and their neediness and their aging and their oh I don't know they're kind of like vultures you know but like these gorgeous fabulous divine vultures and vultures in the sense that like there was this um Egyptian goddess Mutt who was the vulture goddess but she was the mother so it's like I don't know this I had this image of the vulture in my mind the whole time I was reading it but not in the classic western imagination of it being a a negative thing actually but being this kind of elemental mother figure but it's really uh Niven is such a phenomenal writer it's this queer oral history transposed onto the page and an incredibly beautiful, thoughtful representation of the power and love in chosen families and kind of a challenge to the idea that the biological family is the only place that you find that kind of commitment. And then at one point it breaks down and there's a couple of chapters that are just told in the voice of the Vogue caller that are absolutely brilliant, so stylish, but they're also, you know, very funny and witty, but they they kind of become this mad lyric poetry And they show how these Vogue balls, while they were celebrations and they were like amazing demonstrations of skill and dance and the costumes and um, artistic exploration, they were also intensely politically charged. Um, I love the non-traditional way it's told. It creates this world in a totally three-dimensional way, such vivid characters. I don't know. It feels like a parable at times, but it's also kind of almost like participating in a movie. It's just fabulous, fabulous book. Such a good recommendation. Well, I think Uncle Joe is going to be very happy with this list of (laughs) of eight books in his stocking this year. Yeah. Were there any, I know we've got to move on to the next bit, but were there any honorable mentions that you wanted to slip in just at the end? Yeah. Well, one is Euphoria by Lily King, which I also, I think, recommended on the show, but just a totally transporting, wonderful historical love triangle between anthropologists, which... As a pitch, I was not interested in, but as a book, I was completely engrossed by. It was written a few years ago, and I would just really recommend it, picking it up. It's wonderful. Also, Girl, Woman, Other, which if you haven't heard about yet, I don't know what you're doing with your life. But (laughs) if if you haven't read Girl, Woman, Other yet, you should read Girl, Woman, Other because it is genuinely great. Yeah. Seconded. Um, Even though it won a lot of prizes, it is also great. (laughs) Listen to the experts in this particular instance. That's right. I actually also listened to that on audiobook and the audiobook is fantastic too. It really lends itself to audio because it's told in all these different voices. So yeah, 
great book. Mine yes. are Exciting Times by Nisha Dolan, which I just loved. It's a really fun, witty, difficult little novel about a young Irish woman living in Hong Kong but it's really about capitalism and a critique of language and relationship dynamics and sexuality. And it's fantastic. And then the other one was Things I Don't Want to Know by Deborah Levy, which was published years ago. But just, oh my God, I went back to it again and again this year because she's another writer actually who who has that clarity of insight that we seem to be longing for again and again and again. It's just, yeah. it. it it's an absolute gem of a book. And I, if you're thinking of things to get people for Christmas, I would say buy any of Deborah Levy's living autobiography books for anyone in your life, literally anyone. Yeah, The Cost of Living might be one of my favorite books. And somehow I haven't yet read Things I Don't Want to Know. But we were talking about this book the other day and I, I ordered it from Blackwell. So it should be arriving shortly. Excellent. I'll be reading it over the holiday break. And you better be texting me. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> All right. We will be back soon to talk about how we did with our resolutions. Last year on Literary Friction, with our end of the year show, we started a new segment, which Octavia made me do, <laughs> where we made some <laughs> reading resolutions for the next year. So before we got to our new resolutions for 2021, we thought we would punish ourselves and look back at what we wanted to do in 2020. This all comes with my disclaimer that I don't actually believe in New Year's resolutions, so I don't feel bad about the resolutions that I didn't keep. Yeah, but let me cut in. You did also find it a really interesting <laughs> exercise. So excuse me. Okay, fine. I did. <laughs> so what was on your, what was first on your list last year? Well, my first one was was keeping a book diary. What I wanted to do was after I finished a book, I would write down the book and then I would write a kind of page about what I felt about the book, what I was kind of feeling at the moment. And the idea was I've never been able to really keep a diary, but I think if I'm recording my thoughts about books I'm reading, it will be kind of a pseudo diary. And this started off really well. I got a notebook. I wrote pages of reflections. It felt really easy. I liked the idea of having a place where I could see both what I'd read, but how I'd reacted to the book. And I did it for the first four months of the year, but the, the pandemic just destroyed it. And <laughs> my last entry is from April. And I didn't even remember that the book existed, actually. <laughs> so, and then when I was trying to prepare for this show, I was like, oh, my God, what books have I read this year? And I found the notebook and saw that it ended in April and then had to do the normal thing of scrambling to put a list together. So I wouldn't say this was successful, but it was nice to try it. I also think it might be something you'll come back to when there's more mental space available. Thank you for that positivity. I trust you. I believe in you. And I think you can do it. Thanks, Octavia. What was your first Oh my God, well, this uh, absolutely resolution. made me laugh my ass off because it was organize my bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw this and I just thought, oh my God, my past self was so cute. So full of dumb, blind optimism and um, total lack of self-knowledge. <laughs> and I looked back at it and I, I said that I was about to move house, which I did just before lockdown basically and that I was planning to be really ruthless about what books I brought with me and I'm laughing because I brought them all <laughs> <laughs> I brought them all and my partner who I moved in with brought all of his and we for the first kind of four months of living together just lived in this 
obscene pile of books basically because we didn't have any furniture and we couldn't get it because it was locked down so it was a wild experience um and then we started ordering bookshelves and we now have i think three billy bookshelves from ikea and they just seem to continue multiplying because there are always more books disorganized books unorganized books so yeah that was a fail big fail one day one day one day what's kind of hilarious is that i did not make this resolution but i did it (laughs) (laughs) amazing i organized my bookshelf and you're so proud of yourself congratulations yeah (laughs) (laughs) what was your next my next resolution was to read more tony morrison great resolution Um, well thank you I did actually read Beloved. I said in last year's podcast that I wanted to read other novels besides Beloved as well, but I'm not beating myself up about the fact that I didn't read any more than Beloved. Maybe 2021 will be the year that I read The Blue Sky or Jazz. I'm basically counting this as a resolution upheld for myself. I think you can have that one. Thank you. What was your next? Mine was to read more non-contemporary literature. And I am also counting this as a resolution upheld, which feels great. I found reading Angela Carter this year was just a total balm for my soul and my mind. Um, And I read some really fantastic non-fiction as well, like a book that was going around a lot of people I knew called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, Mm. which is all about how we process trauma in our bodies and how um, our bodies are, you know, roadmaps for our life experience, of course, but a brilliantly written book. And I also went back to a book I love that dear Steve, our mutual friend um, in Canada, Mm. gave me years and years ago when I first got sober called Gravity and Grace by Simone Weil, which is a really um, amazing meditative philosophical companion when things are tough. And my least contemporary writer who I read was Hildegard of Bingen, which is very, 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 very non-contemporary. Have I ever told you that I took a Hildegard of Bingen class in college? Lay it on me. How did you find it? It was great. I was one of two people that signed up for it, but they ran it anyway. Amazing. It was actually, it was within the music department. So a lot of the focus was on her music, but she was an extraordinary woman. Really fascinating. Yeah. She came um, up with her own language. Yeah. Just amazing. A complete one-off person in her time. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and Ignota I... Books have just published um, a brilliant uh, book called Unknown Language, which is by Hugh Lemmy and... Banu Kapil, uh, the poet, and Hildegard of Bingen all together. It's fantastic. So check that out if you're interested in in good old Hildy. Good old Hildy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. I feel good about that. What was your next? My next resolution was to read Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. I did not read this. <laughs> <laughs> Much to your delight, I am sure, Octavia. Yes. I'm thrilled. <laughs> And it's funny, I don't have the desire to read it now in the same way I must have last year. Maybe I won't, or at least I'm not planning too soon. So I don't know. I don't feel too upset about this. I'm not quite sure why I decided I should read it last year. (laughs) Liberate yourself. (laughs) Liberate yourself from that tome. What was your next resolution? Well, mine was to read more in French and Spanish, which I just think, again, is so sweet. It's it's so clearly the resolution of a person who was expecting to have a lot of mental space. And um, I did not do it. But I feel like I barely had a hold of myself in English this year, let alone clicking into the different languages. So I'm going to let myself off the hook. I mean, I do worry that the longer I leave those skills languishing, the harder they will be to recover. 
and that freaks me out a bit. But I have to say, I did watch all of At Your Behest, Carrie Plitt, Call My Agent on Netflix, mm. which is a phenomenally good French TV show. So maybe that counts, maybe? Yeah, everything counts. Thank you, babe. What's last <laughs> on your list? My last was Read More Memoirs, which was not so successful, but it was not another failure. I didn't read any of the authors I mentioned last year. Joan Didion, Margot Jefferson. I did read In the Dream House, which we've been talking about. Um, I also read it because I literally had to because we were interviewing the author, but it was excellent. Um, and I guess you could say that The Years and Lost Cat are kind of memoirs, or at least are forms that engage with the form of memoir. Basically, I'd love to read more memoir, but this year I kind of read what I wanted to read because that was just about all I could manage. And so I don't feel so bad about this, but I would still like to read more memoir. It's so funny. I found myself gravitating towards memoir this year more than more than before. It's so interesting what we seek refuge in, isn't it? I read um, A Very Easy Death by Simone de Beauvoir, which is phenomenal. I, I, I wanted to zoom in on actually intense writing about grief. And usually that's memoir. Not always exclusively, but... Um, Interesting, really interesting. Well, my last really one was uh, to read more work that's engaging with the climate crisis, a very noble <laughs> desire. But again, this year, I feel like I just couldn't. However, Weather by Jenny Offill was definitely the first step towards this. And um, and I did manage, I'm not going to be too hard on myself, I did manage to dedicate myself to reading more articles and journalism about the climate crisis. I signed up to the Guardian's Greenlight newsletter, which I read at least 50% of the time. Um, Good. Yeah, but I'm yet to get to grips with the bigger, more expansive work and then the kind of big books of nonfiction by climate scientists that I, I, I want to read because I want to, I want to face it, you know, so hopefully next year that will be on the horizon. Yeah, I would love to get back to a place where I can feel like reading is in some ways self-improvement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this year I just felt like it was survival comfort. and comfort. Yeah. yeah, totally. Okay, well, I'm excited to see what our resolutions are for 2021. Against my will, once again. <laughs> I'm being forced <laughs> to make resolutions for 2021, a year which nobody really knows what it will look like or what it will hold, but we're being optimistic. So Octavia, what is your first resolution? I am going to keep a list of the books I read. Very simple. I'm going to keep it very simple though. I'm not going to try and do uh, anything complicated. I'm just going to make a promise to myself that when I finish reading a book, I'm going to write it down in the same place every time so that I have a list. That's funny because that's my resolution <laughs> too. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I, I'm like going to go even more simple than having a weird book diary. I'm just going to, I'm just going to use the same notebook, but just write a list. Great. Surely we can manage that. I think that, we can right? manage this. I think we can. Good. What's your next? My next is to read more, I don't know if you call them this, but contemporary history books, as in books written now reappraising history because I have been very glib about my feelings about history on this show before and it's a funny joke and whatever and it is true to say that when I was younger especially I really didn't care about history I thought you know the past is kind of dead look to the future the now is real I guess um a kind of utopian perspective rather than an Arcadian perspective right like focusing on moving forward 
rather than looking back. But now I am, believe it or not, more mature. And (laughs) I think also now that historical discourse has moved on a bit and modernized, I can see that the thing that I wasn't vibing with was not history, of course, but it really, it was the people who were doing the historicizing and what was being historicized. And I was never interested in reading essentially, you know, white men writing about other white men and lionizing other white men, you know, in a, in a word. Um, But now I feel like there are so many amazing women and people of color, queer writers who are recontextualizing these histories and making them relevant to the now and then creating this idea for a utopian future of more equity. And thinking of writers like Saidia Hartman, who zoom in on personal stories to write about broader political contexts. But there are so many, there are so many, and I just, I want it. I want to inject it into my veins. I'm ready. Yeah. There's a whole world out there. I would maybe call that revisionist history. Thank you. There you go. Because there's a lot of contemporary history that is not doing that. So (laughs) (laughs) just keep that in mind. True. What's your next second one? This is more of a treat than a resolution as such, but I need easy wins these days. And it's to read another ton of French Dublin Murder Squad book over Christmas. I've done this the past two years. I read The Secret Place first and then Into the Woods. I honestly haven't found any books that are more absorbing. And I don't even like detective stories. Yeah. Like, I don't really read them. <laughs> you know, I do like them actually, but I don't I don't read them for pleasure that much. But these are detective stories. They have lots of twists and turns, but they are so psychologically rich that you read them as much for the character development as for the whodunit aspect. And I just cannot wait to sink into oh, another God, one. That sounds this Christmas. Blissful. I forgot that I'd forgotten about them because you mentioned them last time and I now desperately want one. Yeah, they're great. I'd be really interested to know what you think. I cannot decide if you would like them or not, to be honest. I love detective fiction. Oh, okay. So maybe you would like like, them. I I love it. I read all the um, Ian Rankin books. Read in the Woods, the first book in the series. It's just brilliant. But you can read them out of order because they they, they have connected characters, but they're, they're not a series as such. Great. I will. I will. I will. What's your next resolution? My last one is that I just want to read books at the same time as friends. Um, And this is partly, I mean, I know that this hasn't been at the same time, but this has partly been from my experience of of reading the Neapolitan or listening to the Neapolitan Quartet at the moment and texting you constantly about it and just wanting to share the story with, you know, and have reactions to the story with someone who knows it really well and is also kind of committed to it. And I guess that's what book clubs do, right? But I've never managed to commit (laughs) to one. Um, and to be completely honest they're not really my scene I think they're too much like organized fun for me and I have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction against them I can see why people love them and I've tried a couple but they yeah just not they're just not the format for me I think it might be that I prefer to talk one-on-one about books I tend to prefer one-on-one interactions in general in my life yeah I want more of it though I want more talking about books and I think especially this year after feeling the physical distance so intensely between so many of my friends even in the UK let alone my friends living around the world and it feels like a really beautiful way of experiencing intimacy together you know yeah and and sharing you just need a one-on-one book club that's right I mean you are babe my one-on-one book club. (laughs) (laughs) this is a one-on-one book club that's right I never thought about it that way that's what it is Yeah. And I have to say, I love book clubs, but I love socially organized activities. And I will admit that most of the book clubs I'm in are with very smart people, but we don't end up talking about the books that much. You just don't. 
I think it's much better to have a one-on-one conversation with someone who's recently read a book as well if you really want to get into the weeds. Yeah, I'm up for it. I want it. What's your last? My last resolution is to read more translated books. Excellent, excellent Um, decision. Which is something I did more this year, which I'm really happy about. I really enjoyed our shows in which we focused on translated literature and and also some of my favorite titles that I read this year were translated from other languages and I just want to do it more. There are some better known authors in translation that I haven't read yet. I I haven't read Bologna. Oh god, he's so good. Before, and I just feel like I have to. Also Mary Gateskill recommended Snow by Oren Pamuk on our show and she just gave the most irresistible recommendation as you can tell I'm a little bit obsessed by Mary Gateskill now but anyway I I want to read that now but I'd also love to read lesser known authors lesser known titles and also languages that aren't translated from as much Um, so I I just want to explore that more and really think about translation as I'm reading as well which I I think this year has allowed me to do in a in a really exciting way yeah it's it's a it's a really important part of a reading life I think we talked on the show a while ago about wanting to read I remember mentioning wanting to read books that were coming out of contemporary Greece right now and I didn't yeah, get it was our Europe it. show right and I haven't I haven't actually done that work to track things down very actively and that that is maybe my sneaking one more resolution in I want to find some some translated work by contemporary Greek Greek writers I want it great well if anyone has any recommendations for us that pertain to any of our resolutions please please email us yeah amazing all right we are back to quickly discuss some of the books we're looking forward to reading in 2021 Octavia do you want to start I would love to. So first up is a nonfiction book called Tomorrow Sex Will Be Good Again by Catherine Angel. I love Catherine's writing. She's an incredibly rigorous and searching thinker and she approaches complex ideas with very few preconceptions. She's a writer who's really unafraid to unpack complex ideas and she does so with this wonderful compassion and curiosity. And this is a book about desire and female sexual behavior and I just can't wait to read it. My next one is a novel, but it's kind of an unusual novel called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Uh, So he wrote for lots of TV, including Westworld, which I didn't actually see. But if you're a fan of Westworld, heads up, this is this is the same guy. This novel is also actually structured like a teleplay script. And I flicked through it and it looks so funny and also genuinely just unlike anything I've read. Um, Thematically, it's about breaking down Asian stereotypes through the lens of the Hollywood gaze or the Western gaze. And it just looks, yeah, really uh, electrifyingly new and different. And finally, this novel I am so excited about and so ready for called This One Sky Day by Leonie Ross. And it's magical realism. And I love magical realism when it's done well. I love it. And apparently one of the characters is an illegitimate son of a god. It's about love. It's about addiction. It sounds utterly transporting. And I've read a couple of her short stories and I just think she's a really brilliant, brilliant fiction writer. So I can't wait. Wonderful. What a list. Yeah. But I I feel good about that. I also feel quite breathless about all of these books. So (laughs) (laughs) that you haven't read yet. Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to feel, just full of optimism. (laughs) Haven't been disappointed yet. (laughs) What are yours? What are yours? Well, the first one I'm really excited to read is called Open Water. It's a novel by Caleb Azimun Nelson. 
it's a debut. It's about two black British artists falling in and out of love. All I want to read is love stories right now. This sounds brilliant. I know a number of people who have have read it and just say it's wonderful. So I can't wait to sink into this one. My next is Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler. It's a novel about a woman who finds out her boyfriend is a popular anonymous internet conspiracy theorist, which I just think is such a wonderful way to begin a novel. And by all accounts, this is a really great investigation of how we live now, especially how we live now online. I think we need a writer who really cracks that open. And it seems like people are talking about this in in a way that suggests that she can do it. She also gave that very negative review of Gia Tolentino, which I kind of love. So I like, I respect it. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Can't wait to see what happens. And my last book that I'm looking forward to is an essay collection called Having and Being Had by Eula Biss. This is an essayist that I've been meaning to read forever. People keep recommending her on immunity to me. I haven't read her yet, but her new collection is described as a personal reckoning with the intricacies of money, class, and capitalism. And that just sounds right up my street right now. I've also been getting more into reading essays, so I'd love to continue with what sounds like a brilliant collection. I would 100% read every single one on your list and want to. So that's nice. Same. Yeah. Okay. Although I'm a little skeptical about magical realism, but I know, but you're also skeptical. <laughs> I we're going to get there one day. We are. We're going to get there with the we self-help are. literature. We're going to get there with magical realism <laughs> literature. <laughs> I'm going to crack you Just open. not as open as you. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the response I was expecting, but fine that (laughs) you have other beautiful qualities thank you (laughs) that sounded insincere but it's really i mean it's truly truly sincere merry christmas merry christmas carrie my love (laughs) that's all the time we have for today thanks to eddie knight for help with editing and music literary friction is available as a podcast to download on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live you can check us out on twitter and instagram you can also get in touch with us on email litfriction at gmail.com if you have a spare minute please rate and review us on itunes it makes a huge difference and helps us reach new listeners we'll be back in the new year until then i'm carrie plitt with octavia bright and this is literary friction 2020 happy holidays Goodbye, twenty twenty. Good, good fucking fucking riddance. bye. Get out. Good riddance. Never show your face around here again. <laughs> <laughs>